Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets, and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. Hi, and welcome to our next episode of Decoding AQ. I'm really stacking a few in this week. I think this is my sixth one this week, so I'm on a roll. And today, I've been so excited for this one. I've got Dr. Maya Zilic. And I'm excited because there's a connection with one of our previous guests was excitement number one. So our very first guest is a good friend of yours, Dr. Diane Hamilton. You've co-authored a book together. Before I give even more of your bio, just want to say welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ross, for inviting me and, and greetings to all of your listeners. Thank you. So Maya is based in Florida. You're the interim dean at Forbes School of Business and Technology at the University of Arizona Global Campus, where all the, I learned earlier in our little conversation, where all of the students are online. What a great way to uh, experience and learn. And also, you have been in a very interesting list, the Global 100 Inspirational Leaders. And for context, you know, you've got some absolute heavyweights on there of the likes of Richard Branson, Oprah, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, some of these titans of industry. And I'm so excited to discover new people and new talent that are doing amazing work in your areas of education. And my first question for you, Maya, is where I see it started by my bit of internet stalking, some of my uh, regular listeners know I like to do my best on my internet stalking. You studied literature and language uh, in Innsbruck, then went into arts. How did that translate then into education? Tell me a bit of that journey and, and what happened for you. I, uh, I, was a, I was a refugee. I lived in a refugee camp in Austria, and I was the only refugee from that camp in Austria that actually was able to attend the university. So I've done uh, three years of studies, uh, literature and languages at the University of Innsbruck, which is a well-established university, and uh, it was actually founded in medieval times, and it's, it's very well uh, reputable in Europe, so Europeans know about that university. So I was uh, into literature and languages. Uh, I was into history. Uh, in my <laughs> prior life, I think I was a historian, and um, we... Uh, as a nature of, of being a refugee, uh, we ended up uh, either having to go back home um, to a war-torn war, war Bosnia or to attempt to immigrate elsewhere. So what I've decided as part of my journey, I've applied to immigrate to the United States. I came here. I did not graduate at the University of Innsbruck. I had three years of studies. I learned a lot. Uh, I came here and I continued my studies here. But at that point of time, I've realized that uh, uh, now being a, a new immigrant and also a refugee here in the United States, I probably should pick a career that, that pays a little bit more than a literature professor. So I went into the world of business and I actually was a part of the finance industry working for the Merrill Lynch Credit Corporation for quite some time. So that's kind of a, a glimpse into my uh, uh, journey. It, it's amazing, isn't it? What choices we make with the events around us and where's the balance between what shapes what is it our environment is it us is it this melting pot of a bit of all of those things where some of it's happenstance and serendipitous some of it's very deliberate but how we view these things I guess is often the difference between whether we're smiling or whether we're tearing hair out in, in life and so when you when you came to Florida as 
an immigrant, as a refugee? What was, what was happening for you at that moment when you were then going, ah, where do I go? Where do I study? What do I do? What was going on in your life, if you can think back to that time, Maya? I wish I can tell you that I was thinking about my studies first. No, I was thinking about surviving first. Mm. So I started working at the warehouse. I was a manual worker at the warehouse and I was working uh, extra hours. So I was working overtime as well. And then uh, I would get home and I would change because uh, working at a warehouse all day long, you were not looking really presentable. I would change and I would go to a high school that was very close to my apartment because they were offering free Eng English lessons. And I realized early on that I have to really master my English uh, at a better level than it was when I immigrated to the United States. So my life was the warehouse during the day and English lessons at night. Um, after a few uh, months, I said to myself, well, maybe I should look into evaluating some of my credits, some of my cre uh, courses that I've done in Austria. I actually had a, this big stack of all the courses and the way they were doing it in Austria was kind of archaic when you think about it nowadays. You actually had almost like a one diploma per each course that I passed. <laughs> so I, I put a stack of those, uh, did some credit evaluation and started at the community college here in the United States. Uh, you probably may think to yourself, well, that was kind of like a lower level than where you were in Austria. Well, sometimes in life you go back to move forward. And that's kind of what I ended up doing. So I had an open mind, uh, started at the community college. And like I said, very early on, decided that I'm going to go into the direction of business, uh, finishing my MBA. I was also, I have a master's degree in organizational leadership and development, and ultimately PhD in organizational management. But every spare moment of time that I have, I'm going to read about history. <laughs> I'm going to read about philosophy and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to read a good book. So uh, uh, it, at my very core, uh, uh, I'm a business educator, but my heart is uh, in some of those other disciplines I just mentioned. I guess there's an interesting parallel, isn't there, between studying what's been and envisaging what's to come, you know, yeah. and that passion and sort of paradox between history and then designing new experiences and designing new learning experiences for people of an area and a, a lot of work where it's in developing countries as well, where the access to information and to education has really become an awakening in these last few years and decades and still a long way to go. But what, what is maybe a, a pivotal moment that took you to your current position? Um, was it something by design or was it something that presented itself um, almost by accident? You know, how did where you are now evolve into being well you mentioned something pertaining to the you know our life cycle and how certain decisions that you make are leading to some other decisions i would like to take you way back into to, into my childhood uh, i was the only child of, of very loving parents and grandparents and i a lot of times I, I i reflecting on these first 17 years of my life i say i'm not sure if my childhood was as perfect as it was or is it truly perfect in comparison to what came thereafter but um, in any case, I had a very, very, very amazing man in my life, uh, my grandfather, who just freshly retired as I was born. And he dedicated his every moment to my education early on. So I mentioned this on a few shows where I would wake up, we would have breakfast, grandma would make breakfast, parents would already be at work because they were young people working in the workforce. And my grandfather would play a party of chess with me. And then afterwards, we would do one topic per day. 
philosophy, history, politics, you know, and he would ask me all these questions at five years old. How would you solve Middle Eastern conflict between X, Y, and Z? Uh, if you were president of India at the time, the female president of India, how would you resolve this particular issue that she's dealing with? I thought that was normal. I thought that was very normal. And I thought that every single girl in the Balkans, in, 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 in former Yugoslavia, was having those kind of conversations with her grandfathers. So I started school <laughs> and realized that was not really normal. <laughs> so, because when you go back to those pivotal moments in life, that foundation, foundation of two things, foundation of incredible love and support and education was what led me to be in the seat that I am right now, despite all the obstacles that I went through, where life really looked at a few points of time that I'm just going to be able to survive. I'm not going to be able to thrive. What did your grandfather do? Was he an educator? Uh, my grandfather actually was a self-made man. He actually was in the World War II. He was with the partisans uh, fighting the Nazis and uh, he was a war hero. And then afterwards he was at first self-educated lawyer. And then he was a thriving uh, legal professional that was actually managing several hospitals from the standpoint of legal matters and compliance. So no, he was not in education per se, but he was so well-versed and so well-read uh, we were just like all these different topics. And also, you probably know being a European, a little bit about the region that I'm from, it was still heavily patriarchal region. Yeah. And for this man of, of his generation to consistently tell me that I can do whatever I can do and I can be whatever I want to be as a girl was pretty revolutionary. And not to mention constantly asking me to make decisions, especially pertaining to global matters. Interesting. The, and I wonder how, you know, this opportunity for us to see beyond ourselves, beyond the bubble and to experience horizons, whether that's in real travel or it's through mental imagination to place ourselves in other situations and think about our thinking, to think about decisions and to empathize and to consider. That's a real skill that you you know, were shaping and crafting at an early age. Yeah. And that gift, I guess, like you uh, mentioned, some pivotal moments in your history that have taken you on the journey that you are, are now. And in terms of what you see through education eyes and then applying that, some of the challenges that I've observed, read about and seen is the time difference between what's going on, what are the skills we need, what's the information we need. We have fundamental principles like good questioning, you know, thought pieces and methodologies. But a lot of um, the challenges in education is just the speed of technology and the speed that industry is shifting now. How are you solving some of those challenges in, in your role of designing learning programs around business and technology for a global audience? What are some of the things that you're doing? Absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of things that I do for a regular job, but there were a lot of things that I was doing as my passion projects. And one of the passion projects that I was doing on a part-time basis was e-learning implementation and developing uh, uh, and development in the developing world. 
Because what I've seen firsthand is the difference that, that the world of education, online education makes in the developing world, where you still have the infrastructure issues, you still have the financial constraints for many students that are in the villages, not able to come to the, to the nearest city to study, not able to, do the, to pursue the traditional path of education. So what we've done with the e-learning development and implementation in the Southern African region, uh, in the Middle East, and, and many other regions that I was in, uh, in, in the Caribbean, uh, it is it is truly life changing. So I've seen firsthand what technology does in order to make education accessible to the masses. You mentioned that our university is fully online. So pandemic did not impact us as much because we were online prior to this pandemic. But a lot of traditional universities, a lot of traditional educators are now coming to terms that that is the way to go, either a hybrid model or some, some components of online learning. Even the ones that were resisting this prior to 2020 are now coming to the table realizing that is the, that is the way to go. So the, the world of education uh, it became, um, uh, it, it under, underwent a, a significant revolution in the last few years as a result of the, uh, of the pandemic. I think, I guess these events accelerate what was in some people's minds inevitable anyway it just condensed the timeline of that that sometimes these things that are possible are just not evenly distributed and where there's a specific need uh, in developing countries they can leapfrog some of the traditional approach or infrastructure that might be oh we have to have a centralized location we have to have all of these things to know we can decentralize and and share that and a lot of work now that I'm seeing from, you know, um, outliers.org, you know, the masterclass new uh, vision of what they're doing, or a lot of the knowledge philanthropy work that's going on, that education used to be a period in our lives, then we go off and we earn. Mm -hmm. Whereas now it's that's being extended to a lifetime learning and a learning culture throughout organizations. How are you seeing the shift in organizational design, in organizational development, in leadership development of what part they're performing and what part they're learning in their roles? And what are you seeing around that? I'd be fascinated. What's happening simultaneously, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I've, I've personally developed every once in a while, I still develop a course here and there. I personally developed a course last year with the help of Rich Colgard. He's a Forbes, uh, Forbes publisher from, uh, I think, to, uh, 1999 through uh, just a few years ago. He was the main Forbes, Forbes publisher. What Rich has done is he've interviewed the top CEOs, uh, pre predominantly in the country, but also global CEOs. And he was asking them the very same questions that you're asking me. What have you seen as a result of not only pandemic, but as a result of what's happening within your industries in the last few years. And this accelerated digital revolution and accelerated speed of not only learning, but developing and, and being adaptable. 90% uh, of those CEOs were saying they literally trashed, for lack of better words, and maybe they didn't use the word trash, but they literally dismissed their, their business plans from January 2020. They ended up starting their business plan from scratch at around March, April, and they constantly were revising it. So this uh, static mindset of you pre-planning for two years, for three years, for five years, you can have some goals, you can have some aspirations, but that process of learning is continuous within the organization, and you constantly have to model yourself and adjust. And this is, uh, this is the, the difference between successful entrepreneurs, successful organizations, and frankly, successful individuals. Um, I've, uh, 
as, as you were and as all of us were, we were kind of stuck in our homes in 2020. I'm the person that does field research. I'm a Fulbright specialist. I thrive doing field research. What I do is I go somewhere, I live for a month, I interact with people. There you go, travel stopped. Uh, I'm the person that networks at the conferences. I like to speak to the live audience. That stopped. So what I've done, I started working LinkedIn like there's no tomorrow. And you and I would not have been talking today if it wasn't for LinkedIn. So, so I reinvented myself, as I'm sure you have, because you mentioned starting the podcast in 2020. We started doing what we can within our areas of expertise, utilizing the technology that is available, because our desire for human contact, our desire to learn and grow was unchanged, but the circumstances changed. It's a really interesting point, you know, this balance between are we changing, are the circumstances changing, is the landscape that we operate in requiring an adaption to shift from collapse or the brink of to survival, to growth, to thriving. And that continual loop and cycle of disruption, of creation is part of life. And where I want to take us to now and is around perception. And I know this has been an area where you've done some deep research and got some interesting findings. And I'd love you to share some of your thoughts around perception and some of the research in how it might relate to change and people's adaptation and going through those transitions of life. What part does perception play in that? Sure. Uh, Dr. Diane Hamilton, you mentioned her and I, we've, we've done research on perception for several years. That research resulted not only in a book, but also a perception index that we actually are working on with different corporations uh, on. And, and what ends up happening is we, we study different variables that are impacting perception. Because uh, we were trying to figure out why uh, one person's perception in a business setting, we were focusing on business setting, is vastly different from another person's perception, even if they're on the, on the receiving end of the same message. So we were looking at factors such as the curiosity index, culture index, gender, their gender differences and, and, and perception differences that are a result of different genders perceiving the same message. We were looking at the cultural experiences, also the life experiences in general, because Diane and I, we had a vastly different uh, path uh, in our lives. And a lot of times when we were on the receiving end of the same message, we were hearing different things as a result of those life experiences. So all that resulted in this, uh, in this comprehensive index that we're working on with the corporations in order to increase their effectiveness. Because if you're in tune with the perception of your employees, and if you're in tune with your own perception, you are able to communicate better and you're able to motivate them better and make them more productive. Um, you and I are talking right now and we're forming certain perceptions of each other. Now we don't have, we only have a glimpse into each other's personalities. Uh, you've done some research on me. I'm ashamed to say I haven't had a chance to do a research on you. I'll probably do it after the show. But ultimately, uh, we form certain perceptions based on that research, number one. We are forming perceptions based on, you mentioned, you know, uh, your, your connections with me was who I was connected with. We also formed our perceptions based on the way we communicate, based on the way we look, based on, uh, based on our mannerisms. And our perceptions are, you know, sometimes mental shortcuts because we're trying to be safe for the lack of better words, we're trying to make better decisions and we're trying to operate better. And what we've done is we were trying to connect the concept of perception to the effectiveness of leaders in the global, in a, in the global setting. I want to follow up thought then on that because 
The way I understand our programming and our perception is looking for familiarity as being that safe, like that, different, fear, keep away. So in this world where lots of things are a different shape, different language, different color, you know, that we don't recognize. And if our perception is, I don't recognize this, how do we compute that challenge of that adaption when often we might be fearful of it when it's something that is we perceive to be a threat, whether it actually might not be, it just might not be familiar. It's more novel or it's more, um, you know, alien to our current worldview. Well, the, uh, we're, we're utilizing a lot of things that we have in our toolkit that works to our benefit. And hopefully emotional intelligence is going to work to our benefit. Not, not in all circumstances, <laughs> but, but ultimately we were, we were mentioning the concept of suspending our judgments, which is, that is not to say that well, I, I love when my students tell me, I don't judge, I don't have any biases. And I'm like, okay, every single human being is judging whether we like it or not that's we're conditions to judge because yet again we're consistently trying to be uh, if you go to that that foundation of our being to be safe so we're usually not you know we're, we're not always judging out of spite we're judging because we're trying to increase our chances of success uh, so so ultimately you go into a different setting i always tell everyone should travel in order to extend their horizons and also to to change their perceptions about different areas what worked well for me, and it didn't work right off the bat, is that uh, the more I traveled, the more observant I was, and I talk a lot, as you can tell, uh, but I'm actually very quiet when I go to a, to a different setting, because you, you first learn through observing others. A lot of times when I do research, uh, the first few days, 10 days sometimes, I'm just doing observational, informal observational study. And uh, yes, there are different languages, there are different customs, there are different ways of, of behavioral patterns. But you and I chatting prior to this show would exchange a few stories pertaining to our love for, for pets, uh, love for animals. We talked a little bit about our dogs. Without realizing we're doing this, we were establishing a connection. I don't think that you were intentionally saying, let me establish this connection. Uh, my dog barked. So we had that reference point, but that is exactly what we do, no matter the setting. We're consistently in the process of establishing connection. And yes, at first, we're looking for similarities. And then you're expanding your horizon by, by embracing differences as well and taking a look at different variables and perceiving them, still using your own mechanisms from, from your own toolkit, but you're expanding even more. So this, this link then of perception and wanting perception to be our, our tool, our little antennas out in front of us to realize what do we bring in home to ourselves? What do we surround ourselves around to feel connected, to feel belonging, to feel safe? And actually it reminds me of some of the work, um, there's a chap called Joe Polish and he has something called the Genius Network and a lot of his uh, focus, so he's a marketing guy, but what he's really passionate about is addiction and helping people deal with addictions. And so he's helped many people in recovery from all types of addictions. And some of them are hugely in the limelight, famous people that often end up being addicted to things that are destructive rather than constructive. What he observed was often an absence of connection. So 
in terms of what are maybe some of the advantages of perception and what are maybe some of the disadvantages of perception of maybe when it doesn't serve us well that we could look out for as leaders to be as successful as we can be so when when is it the best thing when is it not a good thing does it have a shadow side and help me navigate my own perception by 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 triggering those things well, perception is a process. We were talking about the uh, the concept of epic process, which is uh, evaluate, predict, interpret, and correlate. Uh, the first step of that process is the one that we are trying to have some control over. It is uh, uh, self-awareness, evaluate. Because how many times you go back home after a meeting or after something and you're like, I can't believe I said that. We have to, and hopefully you have that moment, because if you don't have that moment, then we have a problem. We are constantly reflecting on our actions and we're trying to improve, one would hope. Uh, as we're improving our other skills in life, for example, you may have a few shows and then you say to yourself, you know what, what I've learned from the prior show with interacting with this particular guest, maybe I can do more of that or less of that with another guest. This work, this didn't work for me. So we have to evaluate our own mechanisms of perception and also be uh, uh, mindful of our shortcomings. Here is my shortcoming. I'm going to now uh, volunteer a few things pertaining to myself. I am not much of an optimist. And I am trying to control that every single day. But I, I, uh, Diane and I, we have, we have lengthy conversations. We have daily conversations. We're, we're great friends. And, and sometimes something happens to me and I call Diane and I'm like, this happened and then this will lead to X, Y, Z. And she's like, Maya, Maya. Stop doing that. <laughs> so, so there's there's this uh, shortcoming that I have that I'm I'm having some good friends to to keep me grounded, keep me balanced. This is me evaluating the way I process things, being mindful of the things that I can improve upon. So, what I do a lot, I I step aside, I reflect on some things prior to responding as a scenario. Um, then we are predicting. As I'm talking, I'm looking at you. Uh, we're in Zoom, but if we were talking face to face in a restaurant. I'm trying to understand what you perceive pertaining to what I'm saying. Is my message coming across? Um, global, global Leadership 101, am I offending you? <laughs> are you getting upset? Or are you, do you appear to be receiving my message, my intended message well? And then we interpret, we both interpret, and then we correlate. So ultimately, there's no such a thing as, is there, perception can lead you astray. Perception can get you in trouble in a business setting. Perception, uh, the, the point of uh, our research is use perception to your advantage and be mindful of the things that you can improve upon. Now, based on my example, can you reflect on your own perception mechanisms? Of, do you see some opportunities as far as what you're doing when you interact with people? It, it reminds me you know what are we looking for and how are we spotting we're we coming in prime to look for opportunity we're we coming in to the conversation to look to correct you know uh, because you've got a perception that ah their beliefs aren't aligned with yours so you need to preach something to bring them on board to your beliefs or your values and so we're always looking for opportunities i think to be understood to be heard to be valued and to contribute to help someone else and I think going in with assuming noble intent is kind of how I try to show up in each conversation. And I wanted to pull up something really quickly that sprung into mind when you were when you were talking about of this awareness 
and self-awareness and your comment of uh, I'm not such an optimist <laughs> and it links me to some of the research we've done around how mindset is a skill and that what data are we putting in as our inputs that help us form those different correlations so if all our inputs it, it's um, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Blink um, by Malcolm Gladwell and it's talking about thin slicing so small amounts of information and then you make a decision so he gave a scenario of um, police driving by observing an individual and all of the little bits of information where it was the location uh, the actions of that person they shouted out and they ended up um, doing something that they later regretted because their perception was the person wasn't responding, they weren't listening, they were covered in their face, they were reaching inside. And the reality was they were listening to an audio track they couldn't hear, they were going in to turn it off, but it was the place, the unfortunately, the colour of their skin, all of these things, they built up a perception and narrative to predict a future event. Now, sometimes that can serve us well, other times it can serve us badly. And the, the other part of the research that uh, I found recently quite fascinating, it was a piece of research by uh, Jason Moser in Michigan State University, and they wired up people's brains to look at their electrical activity around, do they notice errors? Do they notice mistakes? Is there neural activity of two groups, one which was said to have fixed mindset? one which was said to have growth mindset. And the neural activity in fixed mindset was almost non-observant. So they weren't able to be aware of the errors or the mistakes to put any kind of correcting or performance or accuracy shifts. So for me, I found that fascinating of this link of perception of um, the concept of it, but then also our wiring, our hardwiring of, of various things and how might we be able to shift that? So you talked about, oh, my optimism. Uh, I reach out to maybe other people to help me see another perspective or to breathe. So I'm not reacting, I'm responding. Um, so I, I just found a lot of what you said, the, the links between some of our work and perceptions and then adaptability being so intertwined in human uh, society and in human life. If I bring us back to organizational development and leaders where the playbooks are changing, you mentioned beginning of uh, 2020, everything changed. So the playbook was out and then now learning by doing experimental, discovering all of these things. How do you think they can structure themselves well to not just survive, but thrive? What are the things they can implement in their processes, in their methods, in their investment in different things? What would you advise they, they should be looking at doing? Well, just a few, like thinking on the fly here, like, uh, you know, I would turn the hierarchy within organizations upside down. This, this old model of everything, you know, working at where, the, where the top layer of leadership is making decisions, uh, ensure you're getting input throughout the all different layers of the organization. A lot of times the, the upper level leadership is, is disconnected and they know that to be the case, but then sometimes they're seeking opinions that solidify their, their decision making and their, their input. You said a few things that actually made me think quite a bit, the algorithms in, in our social media. So what we're doing is we're, we're, we're acting as if we're trying to learn, but we're constantly trying to find opinions that are solidifying our stance. 
So, uh, and what ends up happening is social media is not helping us. They're actually feeding us with the information that we, that are, that are solidifying what we think. A lot of times within the organizational uh, uh, leadership with different industries, I work throughout different industries, I've noticed that leaders are looking for those opinions, those input that are solidifying decisions that are already made. So I would say that turn upside down the, the process of hierarchy and also decision-making process. Do not make decision prior to getting an input. Also consistently be adaptable, but don't, get, don't thrive on that whole concept of, oh, we're in the constant state of change. Uh, you know what? People like stability too. Uh, employees really like uh, uh, one or two boring days. Because uh, if you're consistently working employees to the point of change is constant, that modeling is going to cause burnout and burnout is correlated uh, with a demotivated workforce and demotivated workforce does not produce well. So stop with the slogans that you're seeing on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on or inspirational speeches and try to implement what works within your business model. Uh, do the changes that make sense. They're enhancing your business model. They're leading to better results. Don't change things that are working well for the for the heck of presenting a change. And and I always and like I said, I like to tease. Have a few boring days. It's OK. Uh, it's OK in personal life to have a few boring days. It's OK in, in professional life to have a few boring days, because I've seen firsthand what happens with the workforce. If you're consistently shoving down the concept of change down their throats. Yeah, it's exhausting. And I guess that's the. The paradox that we need to create the environment to have calm and chaos um, and those moments of opportunity to fully be inside each and not feel oh when i'm in calm i need to get ready for chaos and that's coming and when i'm in chaos i need to get ready I'm just in calm today yeah calm today yeah. today's calm day uh yeah. tomorrow right what is it oh, it's a chaos day we're gonna mess things up we're gonna do it um another a uh, quote came into my head. Uh, my coach is a chap called Dan Sullivan. And he has a really interesting quote. And it, I, I hope I get it right. It's something like, the eyes only see and the ears only hear what the brain is looking for. And so that's to your point of how often are we looking for just validation of a decision we've made or a validation of a belief we have or something that we've, you know, already doing to really looking at something that opposes it. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do that, really, yeah. really hard to step out of what they call the echo chamber uh, of those things. If we're wanting to do it, so I, I wanna do that. I want to embrace a different viewpoint. I wanna embrace that paradox, but I find it hard. How might I start doing that? How might I start to shift my perception around um, wanting to, be validated wanted to have things that sound and look and are similar to something that is so different well, to a current view i have how can i begin that journey i'm gonna i'm gonna correlate this with something that may be slightly off topic but it's actually on topic um we know what's happening in the world right now so whoever's listening this show is is is, is painfully aware of, of the situation in ukraine and uh, one of the interesting things, and I've shared my, my journey with you briefly, one of the interesting things is, is everyone is, 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 is trying so hard to help the refugees from Ukraine. And I would like to say, um, let's question ourselves, let's dig deep in our souls. Have we done the same with the Syrian refugees? Have you done the same with the Afghani refugees? And I ask these questions not to be controversial. I'm asking myself the same questions. 
So uh, why, why is this correlated to what you're saying is, we're constantly looking for similarities and we tend to care more and empathize more. It, it appears as if we are seeking uh, uh, some similarities. Uh, a European person can perhaps relate better to a person from Europe uh, escaping the war zone versus a person from another parts of the world. And it goes back to a lot of biases and prejudice we, we all share. With that said, uh, you're constantly looking to solidify your opinions. I stopped discussing politics uh, in approximately 2015. Um, maybe early 2016, I actually really, really enjoyed political discourse in the United States prior to then. I came to terms where I realized the nation was so polarized that you cannot really have a dialogue. You're gonna have to run into one or the other sides that are consistently seeking validation or they already believe it. And it, it is connected to expanding your horizons uh, and, and truly working on emotional, emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence can be your muscle. You can actually work on it and, and get it to a level where you can embrace uh, opinions of others and realizing that there's a lot of different differences of opinions. And, and sometimes that reality, when we talk about perception is reality, reality is always fluid, but sometimes it is in the middle and it is not on either side of the political spectrum. So what I've done is my coping mechanism, uh, mechanisms, I stopped discussing topic that was dear to me. So I deprived myself of being able to discuss that topic. Why did I do this? Yet again, protection mechanism. But I've noticed one of the things that you were mentioning a couple of times is we are proactively seeking to be, you didn't say it in those words, I'm paraphrasing. I want to be right. Don't you want to be right? So what we're doing is we are fishing for those individuals that will tell us that, there you go, you're right. I am really open to a possibility that I'm wrong. I'm open to a possibility that I'm wrong in many different settings and many different situations. And coming with a humble approach of teach me on that subject that I'm not aware of is the best way to approach it. Yeah, that's a sense of humility and vulnerability. To learn is a state of not knowing um, rather than to be an expert of knowing. So it is a state of vulnerability to be aware to seek that out. And then equally, what you've just said so resonates with me in my own journey of wanting to, whether it's get a sense of pride from my parents or whatever all of the things are that validate us, that we're contributing, that we're having value, that we want to seek feedback, but only on my terms. I want feedback that makes me taller, not smaller, you know, and actually the I don't think it's as black and white as that because the feedback that comes in is neither making you tall or small, it's how you accept that to come in. Yeah. Um, and so therefore we have the ability when we have the right mindset, the right view to allow something that comes in that previously might've made us small or would have gone, oh, I need to protect myself. So I'll not go in that room. I'll not go in the room of debating politics because all it is is an argument of blooming friction. And I've got to sit over there or there and, I can't do anything else. Whereas I'm just going to hang out in that space and explore and learn and enjoy that jazz, enjoy the poetry of the dance. Whereas it's got so heated, so um, alienated for us, you know, not, not uh, say just politics, but things, for example, like the vaccine. Oh, yeah. um, you know, these things really polarize people and are breaking relationships 
because of change or adaption or perceptions or beliefs. And yet we can't coexist in a space that have different views on things. And it's such a shame. I think we need to come as students of, 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 uh, with a student mindset. Uh, if someone has a difference of opinions, let's come with a student mindset. You know, I was smiling, and I don't know if your listeners can, can see us. When you mentioned the vaccines, uh, I was at a party, and, and the lady that, that, that held a lecture pertaining to, she was uh, anti-vaccines, she never stopped smoking. And I remember being hopefully intelligent. And, and Russell, I'm saying, I'm humbly going to say, I think I'm slightly intelligent. I was literally a brat. I started laughing out loud. And she said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I am sorry. I cannot focus on your argument unless you stop smoking. I said, if you stop smoking, you will get more credibility as you're sharing your views. And uh, let's just say that conversation did not go places, but I was smiling. It's like, a yes, conversations became so heated even coming with a humble mindset, even coming to learn and understand the other person's opinion. As a matter of fact, I'd be much more receptive if I was in a different setting with her. But uh, there was this one, talking about perception. That cigarette in her hands, I was perceiving it as killing her credibility pertaining to that topic. Might have not killed her credibility in so many different venues of life. That topic alone. Yeah, that you was correlated those pieces. That yes, this corrodes that uh, credibility because of your belief of if someone's educated, why would they make that decision? And so it's amazing, isn't it, that we do these things consciously, unconsciously, they show up and surprise us, they show up and delight us as we navigate through life. Yes. And my last, last little piece that I want to ask you is a question I ask everybody at the end. And it relates actually to curiosity. And it relates to something when we were talking with uh, Diane around, oh, our curiosity peaks at age five, you know, and all these various uh, bits of having this curious mindset throughout life. And I ask, when was the last time that you did something for the first time? And what was it? It was actually something so basic, and I'm going to open myself up to your listeners to laugh at me right now. I never played golf until last week. Okay, so uh, everyone's now in shock. Everyone is now perceiving me completely different. Um, Had no interest, had no desire. Um, I, 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 I have so many passion areas in life and I'm very selective with my time. Therefore, if I don't have, if I'm not curious pertaining to a particular topic, to particular activity, I'm not gonna do it just for the heck of saying I did it. Uh, however, it was a business function. I, I played it and I think I made everyone's night as a result because everyone was trying to teach me, everyone was trying to show it to me. And I actually made their golf experience 10 times better. Humble party of one here. Um, yeah. yeah, that's what I've done. Uh, how basic was what that? What a wonderful story. And often we are our own worst critics and we uh, stop ourselves trying something before we even try it because of fear of judgment. Are we gonna make the experience worse? You know, will I know the etiquette? Will I not be able to do that? Will everyone be looking at me? Whereas actually you flipped it and said, you made the day. You gave them the opportunity to contribute to you, all of those things. So we can bring that into our everyday lives, into our business where we might fear that we don't have the answers. We're not, you know, there's many firsts going on 
for people in their careers right now that are figuring out what's next. They might not even know what the next thing is, but to know that by doing it, by turning up, by turning up with humility might allow others to contribute in ways in which enriches, not depletes their experience. So I really value you, you sharing that. And I, I have no doubt all it's done is uh, authentically endear people to you as a human, um, and certainly for me, I, I love conversations with great people who are able to be themselves and by doing so share who they are and their experience for others to listen, to benefit and question themselves. Uh, what do they want to design next? So how do people best get in touch with you and how would we or others help you best? I, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I, I will send you our, um, my LinkedIn profile link that you can share with your listeners. Also, if they're interested in Perception uh, book, it is on Amazon. I'll send you that link. And also, if they're interested in the, in the index, especially the business leaders, HR professionals, uh, I will send you that link as well. Perfect. Uh, we'll get all them on. I'm on Twitter, but I have a very minimal presence on Twitter. I'm still trying to figure out... Uh, not sure I'm understanding it fully, but LinkedIn is my is my territory and I love yep. to collaborate uh, on LinkedIn. So I'll send you all those links. So get in touch with you on LinkedIn. We'll have all those other uh, links on the show notes and things. If there are people that have connected with you and say, I really want to collaborate, I want to engage, who could help you best? How would they help you? And I'm including myself in that. So we want to co-elevate every relationship that we have and uh, what would be the way in which we could show up that would help your work, help your places, other than, okay, we'll buy your book, do the pieces, those things. They're, they're very easy transactional stuff. But what are the things you're working on? What are the things that you care about that someone who might be listening can say, I can contribute to that. That's aligned with my mission, with my piece. Just finally share us a little bit of maybe your, your own mission and vision and what you're doing and how people could help and support that. I'm a passionate uh, global researcher. I've done research ventures across the world. I'm a Fulbright specialist. I'm also a globe researcher. So uh, it's not only how can they help me, how can that, you know, is there is there an area of collaboration for some global research venture? So that would be, that would be definitely something. And I already mentioned the business leaders that may be interested in implementing perception index within their companies and how can we help them. But I would say I'm always interested in partnering up and collaborating on either research ventures, if there's some educational project that perhaps I can help with or they can help us with uh, those will be the areas and and in general networking because sometimes i'm approached by someone who's completely within the different industry and 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 then and then there was always an area of, of opportunities and collaboration so i never shut doors to an opportunity to engage and if nothing else to learn something new uh, about a field that i was not as familiar with what a great uh, offer and a great way as someone who is open for collaboration to explore new or known ways so whether that's deep in the research area or ways that you have no idea how they could show up but you're open to it so I want to deeply thank you really grateful for our time together and I look forward to a number of collaborations together in the future yeah. thank you so much thank you for having me do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo? Do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill and break through? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalized report 
across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code PODCAST65 for a complimentary AQME assessment. AQAI, transforming the way people, teams and organisations navigate change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast directory and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.